0: Hey, how many guys on page 45? So guess what? This is a trick question. I think you guys will all get this right. Guess what the name of the chapter is? Prayer Prayer Life. That's right. I hardly even had to do the fake voice, but I still did it. Anyway, for those of you who are still trying to tune in. But that's right. Prayer Life is what we are on. Now, as we saw, if you were here in the previous studies, we dealt with the uh, previous topic of daily time with God. And we saw with the issue of daily time with God, there's three ways we... Uh, quickly looked at that, and that, of course, was prayer, then Bible study, and Scripture memorization. Now, for those of you who just couldn't wait, curiosity killed the cat, and seriously damaged uh, other uh, small land mammals, uh, as the saying goes. Uh, uh, we, we are going to now deal with each one of those three topics, the next three chapters, in much more detail. Okay, So since we dealt with prayer first, that's what we're on, prayer life, and that's where we're at. Now, if you were here for the last studies, four times we were in daily time with God, we saw that there were some key words that were used there in that study, and of course, the first one was daily. Okay, was the issue, and the, the thing is, well, gee, that, how am I ever going to do that? It's not that hard, folks. And we saw the other whole theme with this is we have a relationship with God. Okay, and that's the way we need to treat it. And I think if we really get that ingrained in our brains, and don't just say it because it's the correct Christianese phrase to say, man, who can't wait to spend time with God? You know, through prayer or Bible study or scripture memorization, okay? And so, but the daily aspect, as we saw, it kept uh, us with the, hence the word daily, is uh, consistency was the key phrase there that we need to have that. Hence, daily, right? Consistency. If you're consistent with it, you get consistent results. Now, as we take a look in more detail this first of the three topics of prayer, okay, we're going to see that, uh, especially I like the way they started this first section out, because to me it really drills home, not just the consistency attitude, like, I, you know, I want to make the most of this, so i got to be consistent. Okay, that's great, praise God. But the other aspect we're dealing with is dependency. Okay, dependency, developing what I call an attitude of dependency. Okay, now to give a little taste of that, of why this is important, folks, as Christians, we need to be dependent upon God. First of all, this is completely contrary to what our society says, is it not? That you need to be independent. Don't dare be codependent. But can I tell you something? Praise God uh, for being codependent on Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ. In fact, you get yourself out of the picture and it's just Jesus Christ is who we need, okay, to even further correct it. How many you guys heard that phrase? Uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Hey, get your I, I believe it out of there. Who cares whether you believe it or not? It's going to happen anyway because God said it. You know what I'm saying? And so that's the issue. So dependency upon God. Now, one of the aspects we get to do that is with prayer. Okay, because the, the, the reality is this, guys. You ever thought about this? When we don't, of course, we're on the topic of prayer, but take anything of the Christian things that we do, like we've been seeing prayer, Bible study, witnessing, fellowship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When we don't do these, those things from our relationship with God, in essence, do you realize what we're saying to God? When it comes to my time here on earth, I don't need you. Because I'm acting independent of you. I don't need you. And I'm telling you, if we're going to do great things individually for God, by His Spirit, it's not us, it's Him in us, we're just the vessels. But if we're going to do great things for God, individually or corporately, we have to develop this attitude, not just consistency for consistency's sake. We need to understand the spiritual ramifications. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We have to have this utter, absolute dependency upon God. Now, to give you a taste of that, open your Bibles to John 15, before we even get started. John 15, Jesus lays it on the line here. Okay, of the importance of spending time with God. He uses the word remain. Okay, it's the same thing. Break it down if you want. Remain. How do you, How do you remain in God? Well, you just sit there and think thoughts of God. Right, Ruth? And talk British, apparently. No, that's a good try. Praise God. I'll give you kudos for that. Okay, praise God. Uh, but no, no, no. It's much more than that. Okay, and that's the things that we do as Christians. Because when we're doing those things, who are we focusing on? Thinking about talking to Consumed with, concentrating on, chewing. God, that's how you remain in him, okay? And so that's what Jesus says. John chapter 15, let's take a look there, Starting at verse uh, 3, and of course he's doing the parable uh, of the vine, okay? He says this with verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You already got a relationship with him, all right? Praise God, and it's established, and it's safe and secure. He says, now, what do you do? Remain in me. Okay, And I will remain in you. No branch, here's the analogy, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. If you guys go to a fruit tree, if you go to a flower, whatever it is, if you pluck it from the deal, stays pretty cool for a little while, right? Flower. But what happens after a few days? You ever wonder why you're shriveled up in your walk with Jesus? Can I tell you? You got out of the vine. You're not remaining in Him. Okay, I'm, 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 I really want to break down just the practical aspect of our relationship with God. This is why we do these things, guys. I'll guarantee, and this, I, I've shared a couple weeks ago, if you were here, that you know, nine times out of ten when people come to me for personal counseling, somewhere along the line I back up the train before we deal with specifics and I say, how's your walk with Jesus Christ? I can, can, I'm not trying to oversimplify, and I'm not saying that we can't get into some details, but I'll guarantee you that the root cause of why it's such a burden to you is because you're not remaining in Him. He's the one that you get the strength from. He's the one that we're going to see, hopefully, tonight you get the wisdom from, all right? That's why you're struggling. You got tricked and popping out, if you will, so to speak, from the vine, and you're starting to shrivel up. Now, that's the illusion because it usually doesn't happen right away, does it? But the longer you stay out of the vine, of the branch, you get all crackly, you get all crackly Christians. You know what I'm saying? Is what's going on there. So he says, there's, now, remain to me. Now, listen to this. He says, neither can you bear fruit, okay, Unless you remain in me. Okay. I am the vine. Okay. And you are the branches. If a man remains in me. And I am him. He will bear. I love this. I remember that we talked about before. When you're studying the scripture. If something pops out at you. Just stop. Maybe that's the thing that God wants you to chew on that day. One day this is what happened to me. And it was just simply that one word there. Much. Notice Jesus didn't say. If you do this. You're going to bear fruit. What did he say? Much fruit. fruit. You ever have dreams for Jesus? Hopefully. Hopefully. Oh, God, I want to be used of you. I want to do great things for you. I, I, can I, I want to be a big time fruit bearer for you. I want to bear much fruit. OK, he tells you how does that happen. Right. What do you do? You remain in him and then you will. He does it through you. Bear much fruit. We I think whether it's the enemy, whether it's our flesh nature, whether it's the world or whether it's the Christianese that we grow up in what I call church world, we make it so complicated well, how you read about stories about great missionaries, great men of God, and all this stuff, and they did these great feats for Jesus, and, well, God, he can't ever do that with me. No, read your Bible, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, we saw a couple weeks ago. God, has, we're still here on earth because he's what? Prepared in advance, verse 10, great things for us to do that he's prepared in advance for us to do. If you're still here, he's got a great plan. Albeit it's a different plan, but in his eyes, it's just as valuable as any other Christian, Right? But what is the what is the catalyst that that much fruit will take place? You got to remain in Him, All right? You get this is right. And again, I, I to uh, uh, again the point, especially when it comes to prayer. Again, I shared before Martin Luther, great man of God. He used to start the Reformation, got us away from the uh, dark ages spiritually of the Roman Catholic Church, okay? And the works-based system, that's not the gospel, okay? And he had such a heavy-duty schedule, his aide came to him and said, Dr. Luther, you, there's just not enough hours in the day, you, you, you aren't going to make all these uh, 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 schedules. And, and his response as it goes was, well, I guess I better spend an extra hour in prayer. Now, that's a man who was not only used of God, but listen to his attitude. It was an attitude of dependency, I got to spend more time with God because it's busier, not less. Okay, and this is what Jesus said, okay? He said apart from me you can do nothing, okay? That's the flip side of it, okay? So if you remain in him, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Now again, this is the topic of our study, okay, is with prayer because you think, "Well, what's prayer? What are you doing when you pray?" What are you doing? You are abiding or remaining in Jesus, okay? It's one of the many things that we do to do what Jesus said. And when you do that, guys, Great things happen. The wisdom's there. The peace is there. The strength is there. And that's what we saw the last four times was the key, though, is to make it consistent, okay? But it's not just consistency for consistency's sake. It's this attitude of dependency. If I truly want to do something great for Jesus Christ, I have to remain in Him. I need Him. And the way that I show and not just say that I need Him is I am consistent, In prayer, in Bible study, and I don't care what my schedule is, that's not going to budge. Because I know from a relational point of view, the moment I start forsaking those things that Christians do in my walk with Jesus, I just send a message to him, I don't need you. I can handle this on my own. And again, we wonder why not only we start experiencing troubles and we shrivel up as that vine, that branch that got unplugged, but why God isn't doing great things. Okay, he gives us the answer. It's not really that complicated. Now, said all that just to be a precursor to an attitude of dependency, and that's what this couple is dealing with in this first paragraph. Let's take a look. He said, not too long ago, my wife and I were experiencing some anxiety from a situation in which we found ourselves. Having recently returned from the mission field, we were experiencing the phenomena of reverse culture shock. You know, what Tony Broad is going to experience in about two weeks when he heads back to New York. (laughs) and enjoying the snow okay in addition one of our pets whom we have grown attached was seemingly on his deathbed okay then there was also a financial burden looming on the horizon as we were with great joy expecting our first child but our insurance with our mission had recently run out and we couldn't afford to renew it sounds like brandy and i when we first went into ministry Uh, man was that a whopper? that was a leap of faith i'll tell you what man she was a uh, we were married six years before we had kids and uh, that's a whole other story. And, uh, and then uh, we lived pretty comfortably as I was going to work in it. We both had full-time jobs and I did, went to school at night all seven years and, and preparing for ministry. And, and uh, we did pretty good, you know, in Sacramento. And then all of a sudden, God called us out and uh, down to one income, a little tiny little one income and uh, she was seven months pregnant, man. Man, she was popping. You know, okay. Now, uh, I, can't, I can't push it too hard because uh, she might be watching this video. But anyway, she was rather, she was expecting very much. I'll leave it at that. Anyway, so we were brand new parents. You know, you don't know what you're doing. So hurry up. She's going down. I'm looking on paper. man. This ain't going to work. I don't know how we're going to make it. Okay, God, somehow you're going to provide. My wife's out here. We're brand new parents sweating bullets. And that's how we started in ministry. Okay. And we've never gone hungry. God's always taken care of us. And so here they are. They're going through the same things. Like, ah, all these things are going on, right? And so here it is. So he said, our insurance with our mission had recently run out. We, we, we couldn't afford to renew it. And we wondered, where would the money possibly come from? Everything seemed on the verge of overwhelming us that night when we were moved to sit down on our couch and turn on the TV. I'm sorry. What, did you guys get a different book than I got? What's going on? Orson, were you up here scribbling? What's going on? You're pretty tricky. Uh, uh, no, we were on the verge of turning on TV and hopefully we'd catch an episode of Dr. Phil, who could help us out with our problem. No, I'm sorry. I got, whoa, let me, i give you some glasses. Uh, uh, th- that night when we were moved to sit down on our couch together and pour out our hearts in conversation with our Heavenly Father, what are they doing? Praying. Praying. Notice the knee jerk reaction when the troubles hit. It wasn't go get some entertainment wasn't going to do this, wasn't trying to drown it, out, drown it out, wasn't trying to deny it. It's developing that attitude of dependency, I need Jesus Christ. Now, as we saw last week, if you are here for the sermon on Sunday, hey, it is, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's not just seeking God in the bad times, it's seeking God at all times. That's an attitude that is dependent. Okay, and so he says that now, and, 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 and here's the benefit. After reminding ourselves of the awesomeness of our God, I don't know, I, I, I got a little theory, I'm still working on it, maybe you guys... Uh, could possibly agree but god i figured you know uh made the universe and the stars and he know he made it and just spoke a word Looked that word up the other day too by the way um in the hebrew i was going through genesis now getting my devotions and and what popped out this time was the word let just and guess said let let there be day two let it was just let And for some reason that word let popped out so i said man, i gotta look it up in the hebrew okay and the funny thing was, uh, uh, my son, he's just getting in he's getting that age where he's wanting to do his manhood, so he's got to take you on, even though he's seven, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's like a little flea, you know, but whatever, you play with him, you know what I'm saying? When he gets bigger, he'll probably beat me up. But anyway, uh, but anyway, so he's, he's wanting to do that, and he's always doing the karate, Hi-ya, you know, stuff like this, Hi-ya, you know, little kid thing, guy thing, whatever. So we got to wrestle and stuff like that. And uh, the funny thing is, I looked up the Hebrew word. You know what that Hebrew word for let is? Hiya! I was dying laughing, man. That's what my son's been doing to me. But I mean, "What? You know, that's all God has to say to a situation, to anything, uh, even with the, just my, with Billy's attitude. Don't you think about it? Hiya! You know, to anything, and it's done. All God's got to do is a hiya on the situation. It's over. He said hiya, and he created the whole universe. Hiya! There's the earth. Hiya! There's all the animals. Okay, Pastor Billy us about karate last night. It was amazing. No, it's not the time. Okay. But this is what he said. They said they remind ourselves of the awesomeness, not of their situation, of their God, who's above and beyond their situation and what he can do. Okay, but when does all that transaction take place? When you pray, which is one of the ways we remain in him. Okay, and he says this, and he says, "After have to remind ourselves of the awesomeness of our God. We laid our burdens at his feet and we thanked him. Okay, notice, I guarantee you when they were thanking him, things didn't change necessarily right on the spot. But in faith, they thanked him, for we knew he would meet our needs. Okay? This is what prayer is all about open and honest conversation with God. Augustine said prayer is our speech with God. Okay? And so that's the question. When it, tough times hit, okay? We, we, we know that verse and we like to quote it, I think, oftentimes. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? We've got to stay with him, we've got to be dependent upon him. But you know, when tough times hit, like that couple, what do we do? What are some things? let to get some little interaction going. What are some things that people dare I say, Christians? Not here at sunrise. It's those weird people way over some, yonder south or something like that. Can you believe that? Get mad. I had a guy one time with all due respect, scared me being around him. He was responsible for his situation. And he had the audacity to blame it on God. When God, by nature of being God, he could have nuked him on the spot. Right? And then after all God has done for us, we're going to dare raise a fist at him? I'm serious. It would scare me. I'd be like, dude, you stay up there. A lightning bolt's coming in a second now. I'm out of here. yah right from the sky. You know what I'm saying? He's going, you're going to yah So, But uh, excuse me, get mad, but some people do that. See, that's the trick of the enemy because the one whom we need the most... Is the very one that we get tricked into running away from. Have you noticed that? So get mad. What else do people do when hard times hit? Run, run. run from God, either run, from, you know, and again, you could run to just period, because you're, you're kind of like, upset with the circumstances. Blame God, Blame God is another one. That's, uh, did you know that's exactly what was going on in Genesis chapter 3? Okay? When, when God caught Adam and Eve, and obviously knew what was going on, uh, he said that he, he didn't just say it was Eve, he said, That woman you gave me. What? Okay, so there's like a double blame going on there. Okay, and the the snake, you... Whoa, okay. How about just break it down to some things? People will go to activities, right? You ever notice when people get upset or whatever? Man, that's when they start cleaning the house. You know, you come home and every single shirt is ironed and starched and whatever. You know what I'm saying? Or the husband comes home and uh, looks for his wife. She's in the kitchen. She's uh, spit shining that linoleum and she's got a toothbrush going... (laughs) Slames are coming out of that baby. And then, of course, he asked her proverbial question very uh, sheepishly. Uh, are you okay? And what'd she say, ladies? <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever. No. Some people go to activities. Some people go shopping. Some people go into sin to appease the flesh and things of that nature. Okay? Hey, listen. That's not just not an attitude of dependency. You're going in the exact opposite direction. It's designed of the enemy to get you away from God because you're going to eventually dry up and sh- shrivel up. Okay? And so that's, that's what he's talking about there. But this is what we need to do. We need to get back to prayer. Now, this first part, hopefully we can go through uh, a little bit pretty quickly because uh, it's kind of a recap. But before we do that, uh, I want to take a look at some things that we do. Okay, there were three things that hit me that I think is unfortunate in, instead of this prayer life and developing this attitude of dependency that we turn to specifically when tough times hit, okay? And uh, when, especially when it comes to advice, okay? I'll never forget the day that it dawned on me. Did you guys realize that you will never, ever, ever... Have, first of all, have you ever had bad advice? Oh, yeah. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, right. Okay, I'm being facetious. But did you realize that you will never, ever, ever get bad advice, not, talking. not even once, from God? Ever. So you would think that, man, that would be a knee-jerk reaction, right? Whoo, Bang! Go straight to God. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Okay, so. <laughs> Page 912 in my Bible, but that won't help you. But um, anyway, I'll still give it to you. Uh, James chapter 1. Let's turn there. For those of you hooked on bad French, how would you pronounce that? Thanks. Jamais. In case you're wondering. Just about sold enough time. James chapter 1. If you find Hebrews, what do you do? No, 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 that's right. Mumble, you get it right every time. All right, we are are there, James chapter one, verses two through eight, hard times hit. And that's exactly what he says here. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when life goes exactly the way you want it. Oh, I'm sorry, what's he say? When you face trials of many kinds. Okay, he's talking about like this couple right here, who's going through hard times, right? Ah, okay, he said, first of all, because it's for your good. That's what I'm preaching on now from Sunday mornings. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now listen, so that's the positive aspect of it, okay? It's for your own growth, okay? It's for your own good, okay? Now he says, now in the meantime, as that gets worked out, if you don't know what to do, ask God. And this is reassuring. Hey, listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, what's the context? Tough times. What do you do? He should ask Dr. Phil, because he's always got these great programs on, and he knows how to fix everything. I'm sorry. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's what in all he does? unstable. Why? Because when tough times hit, what do you do? You don't go to God. Okay? Or then when you approach God, you act like somehow he's going to play cat and mouse with you. Well, I don't know. I don't know. One of the little Christianese phrases that we say all the time, he says, well, I hope God answered that prayer. Did you know that God answers every single prayer? Every single prayer. He's not up in heaven. Have you ever envisioned this? I'm not listening to you. He doesn't do that. He answers every single prayer because he's God. He's omnipresent. And he doesn't stuff his ears. He knows it all. We have a relationship with him, right? Okay, but he either answers them yes, no, or not now. And it's in the no's and the not now's, i.e. wait, is when we assume, well, maybe he didn't answer that prayer. No, he did. He might have just said no. And you don't like his answer. Or he's saying wait. Might be a yes, maybe no, maybe not, but just wait. Okay, he answers uh, every single one, but when tough times hit, God says you need to come to me, and he's not going to give you just a little bit, it said there he's going to give you a generous amount of it. Now, three things very quickly I think that we turn to, uh, the first thing we do is we turn to our feelings, okay, when, it, when tough times hit, okay, and, and this is what the Bible says, Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked, who knows how really bad it is, uh, God, okay. So when tough times hit, why in the world will we turn to our feelings, i.e. our heart, when it's so deceitful? Your feelings are very fickle. Have you noticed that? One moment they're up, next moment they're down. And what does society say? You need to follow your heart. Do what is right, what feels good to you. And so they're encouraging us not only away from God, but on something that by nature is deceitful and wicked. And then we wonder why uh, half the decisions we made, we get, you know, tricked ends up in a bad place. It's because we want to listen to our feelings instead of our father. The second thing that we listen to is our friends. Okay, Anybody ever get some bad advice from your friends? You know what I'm saying? Job, let me read the text. Job chapter 42 verse 7 says this. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, remember he had the three comforters? Okay, Which is why he was the warmest man in the Bible? I mean, one of them is enough. But No, seriously. Uh, you might as well just call them uh, three torturers. If you read through that, man, not much of encouragement. Okay, they're always, yes, it must be some secret sin. No. Okay, they got it wrong. That's what God says. He said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not been right in what you said about me as my servant Job did. So they not only gave him bad advice, but God was mad with him. Uh, he got into trouble. How many guys have ever listened to a friend and it was the dumbest thing you ever could have done? Never that? I don't have time for stories, but man, I got a bunch of them myself personally. You know what I'm saying? Uh, blind leading the blind. You know? How many times did your parents say, hey, if all the kids jump off a cliff, that doesn't mean you got to do it too. You know? <laughs> it's, it's the same thing, right? And uh, how many guys remember the day when you actually said that to your kid and you screamed because I sound like my mom? You know, it's like that. Okay, never mind, but uh, we, we get there. And so that's the issue. Hey, listen, this is a uh, 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 pluralistic issue of what we just left. If our heart individually is deceitful and wicked and we can't trust it, so why listen to that? our feelings, our heart, above God, okay, who, by the way, uh, always gets it right, knows everything, and is, everything he tells us is good for us, okay? Why in the world would we want to trust somebody else who has the same problem? You know, whose heart's deceitful and wicked, and you can't trust it. It's just, it's wild, okay? But see, that's the knee-jerk reaction we get into. It's like, we don't turn to God, like this couple, Okay, we don't develop that attitude of dependency, specifically with prayer. We just go to whatever feels right at the moment to alleviate the pressure or the pain or whatever. Or Let's go call, you know, so-and-so and see what they have. Well, how about God? How about God get God on the phone, so to speak? Okay? Now, the last one, this is what blows me away, is that, of course, it's got to start with the F because this is your three points here, feelings friend. And this is what I would call Freudian psychology. Okay? Let me, let me quote to you what, the, what God says about man's so-called wisdom. 1 okay. Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Now, in comparison to God's wisdom, man on his greatest day, with all due respect, God says that is useless nonsense. How many of you guys have noticed the spiritual trend in our country? It happened, I think, a couple decades ago. You started to see it happen. Okay, When a tragedy hit our country, it used to be a pastor or a minister was called in to minister to that situation. What do they do now? What have they been doing for a long time? That's a sociologist or some secular guy that comes in there. Okay, and so basically, that what the, our society is saying is, we don't need you, God. We already ripped prayer out of our schools. We already ripped the uh, uh, Bible study out of schools. We already ripped the Ten Commandments out of schools. Oh, and when tough times hit nationally, we still don't need you. We're going to figure it out on our own, and we wonder why we're in the mess we are. Hey, uh, I was doing a, a study in seminary on uh, biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is completely different than secular psychology. Okay. And basically the premise in seminary was this, I think the Bible was fine, God created man in his image, he knows us inside and out, I think he's perfectly fine, and he's been fine for 1900 years before uh, Freud showed up on the scene. Okay, and so if a person doesn't even just have to be a pastor, but if a Christian is equipped with the word of God, you are sufficient, and you have sufficient wisdom to deal with any situation. Now listen, I need to flip this around because this, the book that we had in school was a secular book. And it's like, are you kidding me? This is what they trained them with. They, they brought in the, the history of the pillars of secular psychology. And it was a secular book in a secular university. It, you can't say some Christian wrote this up and it was slanderous. And, and they wanted you to know the history of the background of the very thing they were promoting to people. And, and that, uh, the instructor, uh, Dr. Couch, that's the book that was chosen to teach us in biblical counseling to show us how obtuse it's gotten. Remember, we don't turn to God. We don't turn to the Bible. Even though he's God, he's infallible. He does not and will not and cannot give you bad advice. And we'd rather turn to these people? I'm just going to give you a highlight of some of the behavior. And we're supposed to listen to these people above God? Sigmund Freud was an evolutionist. Right? And he believed that man had evolved from lower animals, and the idea of Almighty God was just a myth made up by our forefathers to cope with life. Okay, I'm supposed to listen to him? Uh, Freud was also a believer in the positive health benefits of cocaine, and was a user himself for many years, and had a severe addiction to nicotine to the tune of smoking an average of 20 cigars a day, which eventually led to his death. And by the way, Freud refused to be psychoanalyzed by his own teachings. Carl Jung wanted to use it. He says, no, and you're not using that on me. You know what they call that in the South? Hypocrite. Excuse me? Abraham Maslow, listen, these are the pillars of man's supposed best wisdom, and we're supposed to listen to them and of what God has to say. Abraham Maslow said this. He, this is a direct quote. That the motivation for his life's work was his absolute hatred for his mother. And I'm supposed to listen to that man's wisdom when it comes to family counsel. Karen Horney, she's another big one. She decided she wasn't happy with her marriage after two years, so she began a life of constant uh, uh, sexual affairs to which her husband did not object. And she also had a uh, a serious addiction uh, for young men, which included her students and fellow colleagues, and even had relations with other women as well. And I'm supposed to listen to her advice when it comes to having a healthy relationship. And I'll just give you another one. Carl Jung, because he's the other big pillar other than Sigmund Freud. Carl Jung said, listen, he made a... I'm not making this up. It sounds freaky, but this is the facts. Carl Jung made a wooden man out of a ruler that he called Mannequin, and he kept it in a wooden case, and he frequently talked to it in times of trouble. Ron... This couple, we just read in this paragraph, they come off the mission field. They were experiencing reverse culture shock. They're in financial trouble. Their their dog is dying. Uh, Their their insurance is not being removed. So the husband says, honey, come on to the couch. It's mannequin time. And they pop this open. Hey, hello, Mr. Mannequin, how are you? This guy actually did that. That's nothing. Listen to this. He even had a mystical experience while he was sitting on a rock one day where all of a sudden he couldn't tell if he was the rock or the rock was him. I, I'll give you, if I unpack my library one of these days, I'll give you the book. This is amazing. Later, he had what he considered to be a major breakthrough in life, okay? It, when he had, supposedly, it was supposed to be a spiritual breakthrough. He had a vision, supposedly, of God going to the bathroom on a church sanctuary from the sky. And that was, he detailed, a major major spiritual breakthrough in his life. Now, here's where it gets creepy. Most people don't realize he was completely absorbed, Carl Jung, in the occult. He studied their teachings. He attended seances. He listened to mediums. He practiced necromancy. He had daily contact with disembodied spirits, which he himself called archetypes. And much of what he wrote and what people are following today was inspired by such entities. One of them he called Philemon, Okay, now listen, this is a direct quote from Carl Jung, his own words. He said, Philemon and other figures of my fantasies brought home to me the crucial insight that there are things in the psyche which I do not produce, but which produce themselves and have their own life. Philemon represented a force, which was not myself. In my fantasies, I held conversations with him, and he said things which I had not consciously thought, for I observed clearly that it was he who spoke, not I. Philemon was a mysterious figure to me. I went walking up and down the garden with him, and he was, uh, to me, what the Indians call a guru. Can I tell you what the Bible calls that? A demon. And yet we would rather turn to these guys instead of turning to God. Man. Where's this attitude of dependency? Are you kidding me? And not just individually. That's why I brought the story of our country. You wonder why things are going down the tubes? What are we saying to God? We don't need you. We have the audacity to still say 80% of the United States is a Christian nation. But when tough times hit, even nationally, we still don't want to seek God. It's like we're thumbing them in the face. And then we, we have the audacity to follow these people who some of them, by their own admission, got their teachings from demonic entities. And again, with all due respect, folks, when you take a look at their background in their life, it sounds to me like some of those guys had some psychological problems. And we're supposed to listen to them? We have to get this knee-jerk reaction. And it's so infiltrated the church. Okay? I've had people say that, uh, uh, that me, as a pastor, or Pastor Jim, that we are not qualified to meet people's needs. Thank you. That's my response. Uh, excuse me? Yes, we are. And so, as any Christian, you don't have to just be a pastor. You are qualified to meet any need if you know the scripture. And that's the other aspect of why the enemy doesn't want you in the scripture. Okay? And developing that dependency. Yes, you are. Any Christian is qualified to deal with any situation if you know the word of God. God is our source of wisdom. But have you seen what our culture does? If they can't say, well, forget it. Forget God. We do a knee-jerk reaction and do whatever feels right or alleviates the situation. Or we go to our friends, okay, and that's another source of bad advice. Or we go to the secular stuff, which is inspired some of it by demons. It's like, what? And we wonder why things get so tough and so hard and so heavy. Prayer is not a spare tire in the trunk. You ever think about that? Listen to what God says when we do this kind of behavior. Because what we're doing, instead of being dependent, we are forsaking. We're turning our backs on Him. I don't need you. Now listen to what God says. Israel did this all the time. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said, chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Be appalled at this. Oh, heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How our behavior must grieve God. And then we act like it's so lackadaisical, like, oh, I... Yeah, I know, I don't pray like I should. I don't read the Bible. Don't you understand the message we are sending to God? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. ha <laughs> man, I'm so glad I'm not going to hell. This is awesome. Woo-hoo! I'll take it from here. Be appalled at this. Oh, heavens. I mean, this is a privilege. Before we get to heaven, we can remain in him and him and us, and he could use us to do great things for him if we would abide in him. And we walk around like crispy critters, old, dried-up, crusty Christians because we got tricked by this wicked world system into doing anything and everything but remaining in Jesus Christ. Daniel chose to spend the night in the lion's den rather than to go one day without prayer. That's an attitude of dependency. One analogy goes like this. There's a guy who was uh anybody ever chop wood? You ever have to do that? Man, we had to do that growing up. Okay. And uh chop wood, okay. And uh, there was a guy who was uh, sweating big time, man. He was working overtime, uh, chopping wood, okay. And he wasn't doing too well. And uh, a guy was walking on by, and he urged him to, hey, dude, why don't you just stop for a moment, take a break, take some time, and sharpen your axe. Might go a little bit quicker. And the guy's response was this, hey, listen, it's tough enough now getting this job done without wasting time to grind the axe. Now, as you men who chuckled, ladies, unless you were woodchoppers, choppers <laughs> You understand how goofy that guy's attitude was, right? He's like, dude, no, you don't get it. You would save so much time if you would just take the time, sharpen the ax, and it would go It cut through like butter, okay? Now, can I tell you something? That's the same thing when it comes to prayer. That was Martin Luther's attitude. It wasn't, no, I, I don't have time to waste on prayer. I've got a busy day. No, I got up late. No, I can't. And that's a whole other issue. We're supposed to, disciples, Methates, disciplined learner? Have you even gotten to the point where we're not just disciplined on prayer and Bible study and stuff like that? But have, have, you ever, have you learned how to maximize your church services? Can I tell you how not to do it first? Okay. The last thing you want to do on a, uh, prior to a Sunday morning is Saturday night is stay up until 3 in the morning. Okay. Because you're going to be tired as all get out. And you're going to run late, okay? And because you're running late, especially if you had kids, that means nobody's ready, okay? And then you're going to fly here, and most likely you're having some serious, intense moments of fellowship on the way here, right? Okay? And then on the way here, uh, you're cranking up heavy metal tunes, and you get in the parking lot, and you come in here, and then you sit there during the whole time, and you walk out of here going, man, I didn't get nothing. Because you weren't disciplined enough to maximize the opportunity. Okay, it's all, you did everything against it to maximize the opportunity, okay? And, and it's the same thing with this guy with the chopping wood. We have to sharpen the axe. We have to realize, listen, yes, my schedule's busy. Yes, uh, I would like to stay up to watch that, but I don't want to get up tomorrow On Sunday groggy okay I want to be in a right frame of mind in fact I'm praying for Sunday service before Sunday even comes is my attitude I'm praying that God would would bless the pastor I'm praying that God would bless the other people around me I'm praying that God would use me when I fellowship with my fellow Christians to be a word of encouragement to somebody to help somebody I'm going there with the servants at I mean before Sunday even arrives that's this mentality of sharpening the axe. I have to do that first if I'm going to maximize what I'm into, but unfortunately, what do we do? It's, it's the last thing on our list. And we wonder why it takes so much time to work through situations. We wonder why it takes so much time to get that wisdom that we need from God. We wonder why it takes so time to work through situations with people. Because we got tricked in thinking, no, I'll just keep plunking away like this. No, you need to take time, get in your prayer closet, develop some discipline, get back to praying to God, get back to Bible study, sharpen your axe. And man, I'm, you'll still have problems. You're still going to chop wood. It's a whole lot easier. Okay? is what's going on. So it is with prayer. This is what the enemy wants us to miss. Now, um, I, don't, I want to close with this kind of little cool thing, and, and uh, at least we made it through one paragraph. Praise God, Ron, you're a prayer warrior. And uh, we made it that far. But uh, on this prayer life issue, one aspect I like this, and and we're going to get into, Lord willing, great detail on uh, aspects of prayer. We're going to need to be careful about it being uh, something that's rote and formulistic, you know what I'm saying, but he's going to bring out some elements to consider while you're doing that. And one thing that I liked about him, and this is what I personally do, is to remind myself of who God is. So it kind of, for me personally, first of all, I thank you and praise thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Talked about that before. But man, if you don't say that at least once a day, something's wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. I even get specific. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul from hell. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul from hell from what my sins rightly deserve. Hey, you start, you start smiling, man. You're just getting started, right? The other thing I like to do is to remind myself of who God is, okay? Because sometimes I think we approach God in prayer as if, well, I hope he can handle this one. Excuse me? He made the universe. He did the... Oh, yeah. okay. And then the Bible says in Colossians, he upholds it and sustains it. I'll have to look up the Greek word on that one. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Excuse me? And he can't handle our problems? We'll close with this. And it's a, it's a classic saying about uh, Jesus, that's my king. And he brings up some attributes. He says this, the Bible says, my king... Is a seven way king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's my king. Do you know him? Uh, My king is a sovereign king. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperial, powerful. He's impartially uh, merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unique. He's unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He is, yes, he is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one who qualified to be the all-sufficient savior. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes. He saves. He strengthens. He sustains. He guards. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key to knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace, the road to righteousness, the highway to holiness, and the gateway to glory. His office is manifold, his promise is sure, his light is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his reign is righteous, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible, he's invincible, and he's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind, you can't get him off your hands, you can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him That's my king, that's my king, that's my king He's got the kingdom and the power And the glory forever and ever And ever and ever do you know him When you remind yourself of that As this couple did Man that's some serious Problems All in one Shot Dependency We gotta pray Shut that TV off. Hang up the phone, even if it is Dr. Phil. Lock the doors. Let's remind ourselves, what they say? Of how awesome our God is. Lay our burdens at His feet. Do you know Him? Smile, move forward. I really believe that's why when hard times hit, it hits us so hard. Because we act like we don't know Him And dare I say, with our behavior, we act like we don't want to know him. And we need to get back on track of not just that consistency, yeah, I've got to do it every day, but we need to realize the utter, absolute importance of it. We've got to develop this daily dependency. Apart from him, I could do nothing. You want to make matters worse? Become that dry, crusty twig. Or stay in the vine. Hey, very much true. Which would you rather have? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die God bless.